Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Anybody thankful today that there is victory found in Jesus Christ? Come on, I think we can do better than that. Is anybody thankful that there is victory found in Jesus Christ? I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm excited about celebrating the birth of our Savior, and uh, that's what this season is really all about. And uh, I believe that God is going to speak to us today through His Word, and I'm looking forward to the message uh, that God has laid on my heart. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and grab it. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. And uh, we have been in a series of messages that we've called Full Circle. And we are seeing how the promises of God always come full circle. The promises of God, they always come to fruition. If God said it, that settles it. We can trust it. We can take it to the bank. And uh, we're learning about the promises of God. Specifically, the promises of God in the Old Testament concerning the birth of Jesus Christ that we see fulfilled in the New Testament. In week number one of this series, we talked about how to mind the gap. How many of you were here for that message, mind the gap? Anybody? And we talked about how there is often this space, this gap between the promises of God and the provision of God. And what do we do when we find ourselves in between the promise and the provision? And a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the things that we look for in life. I, I preached a message called, What Are You Looking For? And really we talked about how everything that we're looking for in life is found in Jesus Christ and how the wise men were pursuing Jesus and Herod was really pursuing his own interests. But uh, we talked about how to find Jesus. And today will be the final installment of our series, Full Circle. And I'm gonna preach a message that I've entitled, Navigating the Night. Navigating the Night. You have a Bible, would you say amen? amen? Matthew chapter number two is where we're going to be. And uh, week one, we were in Matthew chapter one. Week number two, we were in the first part of this chapter, and we're going to close out chapter number two this morning. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to keep it ready today. And uh, we'll start reading in verse number 13. The Bible says this. And when they were departed, speaking of the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Everybody say, Fulfilled that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled, everybody say fulfilled, fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying in Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not but when Herod was dead behold an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel 
for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and he took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. Everybody say fulfilled. Fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you so much for the true meaning of Christmas. God, thank you that you sent your son to live a perfectly sinless life and to die on the cross in our place. God, thank you that you are the light of the world. And God, I pray that for the next few minutes, we we will be able to focus on your word today. God, I pray that we can uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your spirit would illuminate this text. I pray that this text would come alive for us this morning. And uh, God, I pray that we can leave this room differently because you spoke to us and you changed us. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Several years ago when I was in college, my friends and I were hired to be a part of a uh, remodel project for this construction project on this house. And and, uh, since we were all in college, really the only time that we could uh, do work on this house was at night. And we were kind of responsible for the demolition part of this project. We would kind of just go in and tear things apart and throw it away in the trash can. And and, uh, I remember one particular night we were working very late. It was about one o'clock in the morning and we were kind of just taking cabinets out of this house and and taking it to a dumpster across the street. And we were kind of walking in the middle of the night in the street towards this dumpster and we were carrying some things when all of a sudden we heard someone say, hey, and we couldn't really see anything. It was dark, and we were kind of like a little bit nervous about that, and we thought, you know, who, who's coming at us? We couldn't tell, and then we saw a silhouette of someone approaching us, and I was, I was carrying like a pipe in my hands, and I was getting ready to use that pipe like, you know, Samson's jawbone or something, just kind of getting ready if I needed to, and, and I saw the silhouette coming towards me, couldn't quite uh, make it out, and I heard him say, I heard him say, hey, and we kind of looked again, and he said, I just want you to know I have a gun, and so immediately I'm like, this is it. You know, this is my moment. You know, like I'm going to die right here, right now. And we were kind of all uh, scared. We couldn't see anything. This guy just said, I have a gun. And then he got a little bit closer and he said, what are you doing? And I said, we're working on this house, this construction project. And he said, oh, his tone totally changed. He said, oh, you scared me. I thought you were breaking in. I thought we scared you. Like you just said that you had a gun, but we scared you. And uh, turns out he was just an overly aggressive neighborhood watch man that was coming out just to make sure that we weren't uh, robbing that house. But since it was in the middle of the night and since it was dark, we couldn't really tell. We couldn't really see. And it was kind of hard to ascertain. And the truth is this morning, many times as we navigate through life, we enter seasons of darkness. We enter seasons of adversity and seasons of hardship where we can't really tell what God is doing and we're trying to make out the details and we're trying to figure out God's plan but it's just a season of confusion and a season of hardship and we find ourselves often in a season of darkness and we come to Matthew chapter number two and that's exactly where Mary and Joseph find themselves this season of darkness where they're trying to figure out God's plan and what's going on and a little bit confusing. And even Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and he says this, for now we see through a glass darkly. Everybody say darkly. Darkly. 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And Paul was saying, hey, uh, right now when we try to figure out things here on this planet, when we try to figure out what God is doing in our lives, it's, it's like looking through a dark glass. We can't quite figure it out. We can't quite ascertain uh, what God is doing. There's a lack of clarity in God's plan sometimes. We're not really sure what's going on, but there will be a day when we see Jesus face to face and he will illuminate the darkness once and for all. And he says, hey, uh, there's going to be some uncertainty now, but just know that clarity is coming. And we find ourselves often in seasons of darkness where we're just walking in the dark, where we're navigating the night, trying to figure out what God's plan is. And we find Mary and Joseph, and, and uh, they're in a season of difficulty. In fact, Herod was so upset uh, that King Jesus was born, that he was getting ready to uh, murder all of these children in Bethlehem, and he's trying to kill specifically Jesus. And so this was a, a troubled time. This was a dark time. And Mary and Joseph actually had to flee uh, to Egypt 100 miles away, and they had to flee. Uh, the Bible tells us this in verse number 14. It says, And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. Everybody say, by night. And departed into Egypt. And so here there was this dark season, this season of trouble, this season of difficulty. And now literally Mary and Joseph are traveling by night. That meant that they had to leave quickly and they kind of just got up and they left at night so nobody would see them. This would have been a hard journey. And now they are just navigating the night. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in a season of darkness? What do we do when we find ourselves in, this, in these times of adversity, in these times of difficulty. And Matthew uh, talks about this, and Matthew is constantly pointing the reader uh, really back to the Old Testament, and he's reminding us uh, of these prophecies that are being fulfilled time and time again. He's constantly pointing us back. In fact, uh, just in chapter number two, there are four fulfillments of prophecy about the birth of Jesus Christ. And each one of these fulfillments of prophecy uh, are about the geographical location of the birth of Jesus. Each one of these fulfillments are about a specific location. Now, typically, your birth is associated with one location. I was born in Lancaster, California. Uh, the 661, represent. Okay, that's, that's where I grew up. Thank you. My wife, Katie, she was born in Salina, Kansas. So Salina, Kansas. Okay, that's where she was that's where she was born. And typically, your birth is associated with one location. But here, the Messiah's birth, the Old Testament had talked about four different locations, Bethlehem, uh, Egypt, Ramah, and Nazareth, these four different locations. And so what Matthew is doing, the author of this gospel, is he's pointing the reader to uh, primarily a Jewish audience. He's saying, hey, listen, Jesus fulfills all of these locations, all of these Old Testament prophecies concerning all these different locations. Jesus fulfills them all. This was not just a coincidence. This is divine detail. And so what we're learning is even in seasons of darkness, that God has a design even in the dark. Even in the dark, God has a plan. He has a design, and all things are coming full circle in God's plan. And so Matthew is constantly saying, hey, uh, the Old Testament predicted this. The prophets talked about this. Look, uh, this is Jesus. He is the, 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 the long-awaited one. He is the Messiah, the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he's constantly pointing us back and showing us that God has a plan even in the dark. And the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter number 45, verse number 7. It says this. I form the light, 
and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so that tells us this morning that even if you're in a season of light, even if you're in a season of darkness, even if you're in a season of good or of evil, hey, no matter what season you're in, God is always in control. He always has a plan, and he is working together all things for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. See, God always has a plan, even in the dark. Even when we can't see it, when we can't ascertain what God is doing, he is always working behind the scenes. And so we know that God is always in control. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, uh, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? There is nothing too hard for God. Jesus, one time he was talking to his disciples. They were uh, traveling uh, along and they were asking Jesus about his will. And Jesus was teaching and responding to their questions. And he says this, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? This is John 11, 9 through 10. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. And so Jesus uses this pretty basic analogy. And he says, hey, if you're walking in the daytime, if you're walking during the day, you're probably not going to stumble around and you're not going to fall a whole lot because you can see where you're going. You can see the danger that might be surrounding you. But if you're walking in the night, you're going to stumble a lot more because you cannot see the danger that is surrounding uh, you. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I am the light of the world. And so as long as you're with me, you are good to go. As long as you're in my presence, you are going to be safe. As long as you are in proximity with me, everything is going to be okay. And we see this uh, taking place with Mary and Joseph because as long as they were with Jesus during the season, everything was going to come full circle. As long as they were with Jesus, everything was going to work out. And so what I'd like to do this morning, uh, just for a few minutes, is I'd like to look at uh, these verses and see three uh, powerful reminders about navigating the night. Are you ready? Number one, with Jesus, there is direction in the midst of difficulty. With Jesus, there is direction in the midst of difficulty. Notice verse number 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so in the midst of this difficult season, in the midst of Herod trying to kill Jesus, uh, uh, this angel comes and brings direction now for Mary and Joseph. They know what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go to Egypt. Now, this would have not been a convenient task. This would not have been an easy task. This would have been a little bit uncomfortable for them to to make this journey. Jesus at this time would be perhaps around six months old. And if you've ever traveled with a baby or a six-month-old, that is not always the easiest thing to do, right? And especially when you don't have strollers and iPads and pack-and-plays ready to go. This would have been even more challenging to make this journey to, uh, to Egypt. And so this would have been uncomfortable. This would have uh, caused them to step out of their comfort zone. I remember when Katie and I, we had our first child. And uh, she had a C-section, and we were in the hospital uh, for a few days after that. And I enjoyed being in the hospital because anytime the baby started crying, I would just say, nurse, you know, c- can you come in here, and, and is there something wrong? And, and uh, you know, anytime there was any questions that we had, we'd call the doctor in, we'd call the nurse in. And when it came time to go, I was like, I don't know if I'm quite ready to go yet because if the baby cries at home, I can't say, nurse, can you come in here, right? That means that I have to take care of it. And it was stepping out of our comfort zone to leave that, to leave that hospital, and that's exactly this feeling Mary and Joseph they were accustomed to Bethlehem but now they have to go into Egypt and sometimes if you want to fulfill your destiny if you want to step into your destiny you have to step away from your security if you 
want God to show you his plan for your life and you want to fulfill your destiny, you have to step away from your security, your comfort zone. And so here's Mary and Joseph, and now they're leaving the comfort of Bethlehem, what they knew when the wise men were coming. Everything was great happening, and now they're going to Egypt, this, this unfamiliar territory, and God is working in their life, in their lives. And, and we see that God is providing this direction. I want you to see that uh, there was some patience involved with this because in verse 13 it says this, he says, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there. And so he says, I want you to go to Egypt and be thou there. Now, I imagine Joseph was uh, somewhat of a planner and he kind of wanted to know what was going on. And so the angel says, hey, go to Egypt. And I imagine Joseph is like, all right, we're going to go to Egypt and then what? We're going to go to Egypt and how long are we going to be there for, right? Okay, do I need to get a hotel? Like what, what, what's going on? We're going to go to Egypt, then what? And the angel just says, be thou there. Stay. And I wonder if that was a difficult assignment for Joseph. Okay, we're going to go to Egypt, but for how long? What are we doing? And the angel says, just be thou there. And one of the hardest things to do in life is to be thou there. When God brings us into an Egypt season, when we're not really sure what's going on and why God is leading us into this direction, that's the hardest thing because we want to move on and we want to go to the next season. But God says, hey, just be thou there. Just stay where I have you. See, so often we are, we are so looking forward to what we want God to do next that we're missing out on what God is doing now. And so he says, be thou there. Rem remain there. Just, just be patient. Just wait on God's timing. And so many times God will bring us into a place in life where the only thing that we know how to do is wait and trust. Say, okay, God, I, I came. I, I'm in this season right now. I'm in this, this moment. I'm in this time, and I'm just doing my best to trust in you and wait during this season. The Bible says in, in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on his timing. I was in the hospital yesterday, and I was visiting with a man who is going through a difficult time, and, and uh, uh, a couple of months ago, everything was fine, he had wife and kids, and things were going great, good job. And uh, all of a sudden, he started losing feeling in his legs and started um, having some health difficulties, and now he is literally essentially paralyzed from the waist down. And they're not exactly sure why. They found a tumor on his spine, and they're trying to decipher, is it cancerous, is it not? And, and uh, I was talking to him for a while, and we were praying together, and I, and I was asking him, what's been the most challenging thing? What, uh, how are you feeling right now? And he said, the hardest thing that I'm learning right now is to be patient. He said, I'm just sitting here. I can't walk, but I'm waiting for the doctors to come in and tell me new results. And it's day after day where I don't hear anything, and I'm just learning to be patient. I'm just learning to wait on God's timing. And is not that one of the hardest things to do in life, is to wait on his timing, not ours? Andrew Murray said this, Do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him. And the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you, strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart so you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Can I encourage you today, if God has you in an Egypt season, to wait on his timing because you are not in Egypt for your punishment. You are there for your protection. See, Joseph and Mary went to Egypt, but it wasn't a punishment. It was protection. He was saying, go there to be safe. And many times we are fighting against the place that God has placed us for protection. And so there was this patience involved. But I want you to see the plan involved also in verse number 14. 
when he arose. And so this, this word carries the idea. He sprung into action, action. He was not delaying in his obedience. He said, okay, uh, we need to go to Egypt. And so he, he arose and he took the young child and his mother by night and he departed into Egypt. And so we see this direction came and he was submitting to the direction that was given. He was following in obedience. The Bible says this in Isaiah 119, if you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. See, if we are faithful to obey, God is faithful to direct. If we are faithful to submit, God will be faithful to give us the direction uh, that we need to go. Uh, Psalm 119, verse number 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I wonder this morning, is there a commandment? Is there an instruction that is given in Scripture this morning that you have delayed in keeping? That you have delayed in following through in submitting? As we see Joseph, he, he rose up and he, and he departed into Egypt. Notice verse number 15. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Now, this is the second time that Matthew, the author of this gospel, is going to bring up this fulfillment of prophecy. The first time was uh, in verse number 6 when he talked about how Jesus would be born in, in Bethlehem. And the scribes and Pharisees, they were, uh, uh, the chief priests and the scribes, they remembered that. This was a, a direct quotation from uh, the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And now here's the second geographical location concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. He said, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, this was a quotation from the prophet Hosea. In fact, it's Hosea chapter 11, verse number 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And so the original context of this, uh, of this prophecy, the original context of, of, of Hosea the prophet declaring this was when God brought his people out of Egypt for their salvation, for their deliverance. And what Matthew is saying is this is a picture, this is a type of Jesus. Again, uh, there is going to be salvation and deliverance coming out of Egypt once again, because in Jesus there is salvation, in Jesus there is uh, great deliverance. And so he's saying, hey, just like it happened in Egypt uh, uh, with the Exodus, uh, with God's people Israel, it's going to happen again because Jesus is coming out of Egypt. And so he makes this connection uh, here from uh, Hosea chapter number 11. First Timothy 4.10 says this, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior. Everybody say the Savior. He is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And so we see that Matthew and, and Hosea are talking about the saving nature of, uh, of Jesus. Psalm 32, verse number 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And so we see that in the midst of difficulty, God provides direction. When you're with Jesus, hey, even if you're going through a difficult season, you can get the direction that you need found in God's word and in a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, we see with Jesus, there is direction in the midst of difficulty. Notice number two this morning, with Jesus, there is hope in the midst of hurting. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. With Jesus, there is hope in the midst of hurting. I want you to see the tragedy that takes place in verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, so he asked the wise men to come back and tell, the, uh, tell him the whereabouts of Jesus, and they didn't do that. They went a different direction, and, uh, and uh, so Herod was, was tricked or mocked of the wise men. What happened was he became exceeding wroth. The Greek word is uh, thumao, and it basically means that he was out of control in an uncontrolled rage. And so Herod just loses loses himself and becomes extremely upset, extremely angry, takes matters into his own hands, and watch what happens. And he sent forth, and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, 
according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so if you recall, he really wanted to know from the wise men, what time did you see the star? Because he wanted to know and try to figure out how old uh, King Jesus was, the baby Jesus. And so because he becomes so angry and he's in this uncontrollable rage that he decides to murder and have this great massacre in Bethlehem and the surrounding coast thereof. And so we see this tragedy that takes place. An absolutely tragic loss of life. That Herod does this wicked an evil deed. And as tragic as it is, I want you to know today that the same thing is happening today. Because since 1973, there have been approximately 57 million legally induced abortions in the United States. There is an all-out war on the sanctity of human life. And we have to understand that this is not simply a political issue. This is a scientific issue and a theological issue. Because science tells us that if a child were conceived on January 1st, on the very day of conception, all 46 chromosomes are present, so human life has already begun. This is a unique human being with a very unique genetic makeup who can never be reproduced or replaced. On January 22nd, only about three weeks after conception, the child's heart begins to beat, pumping uh, his or her own blood, which is often a different blood type from the mother's. February 4th and the fifth week, which is... Around the time many mothers confirm that they are pregnant, the child's, the child's eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. By February 14th, which is merely the sixth week after conception, the child's brain waves, which have already uh, been active for some time, are now detectable. Late February, only the seventh week from conception, the baby starts kicking and swimming. Just under two months into the pregnancy, every organ in the child's body is in place. The bones are taking shape. The fingerprints have already begun to form. Mid-March, teeth begin to form. Fingernails develop. The baby can turn her head, and uh, he or she can even frown. Late March, the baby can grasp objects placed in her hands. See, we know this scientifically. We even know this logically because 84% of mothers decide not to have an abortion after they've seen the ultrasound. This is a theological issue because Jeremiah 1.5 says this. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Can I tell you this morning that every human life is sacred. Every human life is designed by God. Every human life is special. Does anybody believe today in the sanctity of human life that every life is significant to God? Proverbs 6 says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And we see this taking place here in Matthew. We see it taking place in our generation as well. And I want to say this this morning. If you've had an abortion or if you know someone or love someone that's had an abortion, God still loves you. God still has a great plan for your life. He wants to use you in an incredible way. God's love for you has never diminished for one moment. And I believe with all my heart what Romans 5.20 says, that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Is anybody thankful today for the grace of God? No matter what the circumstance is, his grace abounds much more. We see this tragedy, this human Loss of human life, and we see this tragedy, but also I want you to see this prophecy. Notice the next verse, verse 17. Then was fulfilled. Okay, so now we have this third fulfillment of prophecy. And again, Matthew's just hammering this home. Like, hey, it wasn't just one coincidence. It wasn't just two times, three times. Four times we see this geographical, geographical location connecting to Jesus. It was fulfilled, that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying in Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, the original context when Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah chapter 31, he's talking about the Babylonian exile, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed 
destroyed Jerusalem and they, and they took the nation of Israel into captivity, into exile, uh, what was happening is they would go and they would take them into a city called Ramah. And it was there in Ramah, which is uh, kind of the dividing line between the northern and the southern kingdom. It was kind of right in the middle. And uh, Ramah was known as the deportation city. And so when the Babylonians came in or when the enemy would come in, they would destroy the nation. When they would take the captives and the exiles, they would leave from Ramah. That was the deportation city. And so this was always a place that was associated with weeping and mourning because it was there you were ripped from your families and you were uh, separated from your loved ones. And so Ramah was always a place of, of weeping and mourning and tr- tragedy. And so we see that uh, there is this, this weeping and mourning. And Rachel, she was kind of symbolic for all the women in Israel. Rachel wanted, if you remember back in Genesis, Rachel wanted children so badly. And now she is weeping because their children are, are, are being taken away and they're losing their children. So there's weeping and mourning. But it's so interesting that Matthew brings up this prophecy and he brings up this passage from Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 because if you read Jeremiah chapter 30 verse uh, through chapter 33, it's actually a section of great hope in Scripture. It's actually a section of, of rejoicing in the midst of difficulty. And the Bible says this in Jeremiah 31. This is the exact passage that Matthew is referring to. Jeremiah 31 verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Uh, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. And so there was this great tragedy taking place. There were uh, kids and families being uh, torn apart from each other. But then the next verse says this, and I want you to hear this. Are you ready? Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping. And thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and there shall come again from the land of the enemy. And watch this, there is hope. There is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that the children shall come again to their own border. And so Jeremiah was saying, there is hope. And Matthew brings this up and he's saying, hey, I want you to know that there is hope in the midst of hurting because hope has a name and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's going to come back from Egypt and he is going to be the savior of all of humanity. See, there is hope in Jesus in the midst of hurting. And even in the worst tragedy of your life, there can be hope and there can be a peace that passes all understanding because that's why Jesus came. He came to bring peace and hope and strength even in the midst of your darkest hour. And so Jesus, his arrival, his advent, that's exactly what it means. It means hope in the midst of hurting. Even in the midst of Rama, this place that was associated with pain, now we see that there is hope even in the midst of hurting. And I'm so thankful today that even when we are struggling, even when we are going through a season of darkness, that Jesus is that light in the middle of the darkness. 2 Corinthians 1. 3 through 4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Be the comfort by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. There is hope in the midst of hurting. And today, if you are hurting, if you are broken, just know that Jesus provides great hope for your future. With Jesus, there is direction in the midst of difficulty. With Jesus, there is hope in the midst of hurting. Number three, and we'll be done this morning. With Jesus, there is peace in the midst of panic. With Jesus, there is peace in the midst of panic. Notice verse number 19. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Verse number 19. But when Herod was dead... 
So this is good news for the Jewish people. Herod the Great was a terribly wicked man. He murdered his own sons because he felt threatened by them. He murdered his own wife. Caesar Augustus said it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. He was just an incredibly threatened man, and he now dies. Josephus, a Jewish historian in his antiquities, he talks about how Herod died, and he says this, ulcerated entrails, putrefied and maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physicians nor warm baths led to his recovery. So a very bitter death for an evil man. So Herod dies. And now that Herod uh, dies, behold, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And so now they're going to get a new direction. Now God's going to reveal the next step. And by the way, uh, God revealed the next step because they were in the right place. They were still in Egypt. He was remaining patient. And uh, so God reveals this next step to them. Notice verse number 20. Saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, uh, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And so now uh, they're heading back home. Things are on the up and up and things are looking good. And now they can return home and they don't have to live in, in, in hiding anymore in Egypt. But then things change in verse number 22 and we see that fear really takes over Joseph's heart. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. And so we see that when Herod the Great dies, he has two sons that take over, Herod Antipas and Herod Archelaus. They were both incredibly wicked men as well. Herod Archelaus was uh, a man that followed in his father's footsteps, and he was also incredibly hated by the Jewish people, and he was constantly stirring up strife. And, and in fact, Archelaus had such a bad reign that even the Romans didn't want him ruling anymore, and so they sent him to exile. And you know it's bad when the Romans and the Jewish people actually agreed on something. And so uh, Archelaus, he, he gets shipped away. He's actually replaced by a man named Pontius Pilate. And so uh, Archelaus, he comes to reign, and he was a terribly wicked ruler. And there was a time, history tells us, when Archelaus had the idea that he was going to erect a golden eagle and put it on the top of the gates into the temple in Jerusalem. He thought this was a good idea. And of course, the Jewish people hated this idea because they called it an abomination. They said, this is idolatry. We don't want a golden eagle on our gates. And so there were some Jewish men that climbed to the top with axes and they started uh, beating the thing down and kind of uh, led an insurrection, a rebellion against Herod Archelaus. And he became so upset that he murdered 3,000 Jewish men. And so this is all the time when Joseph and Mary are coming back to Israel. And so you can see why Mary and Joseph now, they're afraid to go back because they're hearing about all the bloodshed that's taking place from Archelaus. And so they were afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And so we see that, that God, again, uh, reroutes them and provides this new direction. But we see that uh, Joseph had to deal with this fear. And one of the things that's so difficult about navigating the night and seasons of darkness is our heart becomes overflowing with fear. And we become so afraid of what's going to happen next. And we're afraid of what God might do. And we're afraid of what might happen in our families. And we're afraid of what people might think. And we're afraid of the uncertainty of the future. And we operate by fear. But I want to tell you that God will not change his plans to accommodate our fears. God's not going to change his will to accommodate our fears and what we are afraid of. Chapman University recently did a study of the top fears in the United States. And some of the top fears were corruption in the government, Death, pollution, illness in the family, and not having enough money. And uh, so often all of these fears and more, they, they just 
infiltrate our hearts, and so we tend to make decisions based on what we're afraid of rather than what God wants us to do. Psalm 27, verse number 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got a judo I never heard of, but he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Is anybody thankful today that God cannot, uh, that the devil cannot uh, stop God's plans because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? See, uh, we are no match for sin, but sin is no match for the Holy Spirit. And so... We know that even in times of certainty, when we are afraid, that, that we can still find peace in the midst of panic because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. John 16, says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so we see peace in the midst of panic. But I want you to see not only the fear, but I want you to see the fulfillment. And uh, this is the final fulfillment in verse number 23, the final fulfillment of this chapter. It says this, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. So four times in chapter number two, Matthew is saying, hey, fulfilled, fulfilled. God's plan, it's coming full circle. This all happens for a reason. Even in the dark, God has a design. Now this happened, Archelaus coming in. Why would, why would uh, God allow Archelaus to rule and reign? Just when we thought we were going to see the end of Herod the Great, we thought we were going to have a little bit of peace, and now Archelaus comes. But all this happened that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called the Nazarene. Now, if you look up in the Old Testament, you try to find that phrase, he shall be called the Nazarene, you won't find it. Not one prophet said this. But Matthew says something interesting because he says it was spoken by the prophets, plural. And so this was a common understanding in the Old Testament. This was a common understanding amongst the prophets that he was going to be uh, come from a place like Nazareth. See, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 53, verse number 3, he is despised and rejected of men. And if you know anything about Nazareth, you know that it was a despised place. Nathaniel said in John 146, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, come and see. And so Nazareth was considered a place for the lowest of lows. It was considered the place uh, for, for, for low lives and the despised and the scorned and, and belittled. And so what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, when he says he is despised and rejected of men, the prophets had this general understanding that Jesus would come from a place that was despised. And so what Matthew is pointing at, the author of this gospel, is that uh, the king that is going to come, this long-awaited Messiah, is going to be rejected by men. He came into his own, and his own received him not. So four different times in this chapter, we see that Jesus is bringing God's plan full circle. His plan is being fulfilled. And I believe that that means that there is great encouragement for us today. The fact that God has a design even in the dark, that God has a plan even in the midst of pain. And whatever you might be going through today, just know that God is still in control, that he is still seated on his throne. He is not up in heaven uh, wondering what's going on down here. He, he knows. The Bible says in Acts 15, verse 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. I'm thankful that God has a plan even before the foundation of the world, that he is in control. 
John 12, 46 says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus is that light. Last week I was riding in an Uber, uh, driving home, and uh, I started uh, to talk to my driver a little bit, and I told him I was a pastor, and I asked him some questions about what he believed, and we started kind of talking a little bit about uh, the gospel, and I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, of course. He said, I go to Catholic church, church every week, and he held up his Bible, and uh, he, he was real proud that he had his Bible in there, and I said, that's awesome. We kind of started to talk about the Bible, and I, I started to ask him some questions, and he told me, he said, um, I pray to Mary every single day, and uh, I said, I kind of asked him about that and why he did that, and he said, because, he said, in your life, who knows you better than anyone? Who, who knows their children more than anyone? It's the mother. And so that's why I pray to Mary. And I told him, I said, well, when you get sick, do you go to the doctor or do you go to the doctor's mother? And he said, I go to the doctor. And I said, and that's exactly why we can go straight to Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we had a great conversation. He didn't accept Christ, but I believe that he's searching and God is doing a work in his life. And I want to tell you today that if you seek after Jesus, you can find him. If you are navigating the night, if you are in a difficult season, if you are in darkness, Jesus is the light. And anyone that calls upon his name shall be saved. And this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. He entered into this world to go to the cross and to die in your place and in my place so that when we die, we don't have to go to a, a terrible place called hell. We can go to heaven uh, where Jesus is. He is preparing a place for us. Romans 10 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And today, if you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus, I believe that today could be the greatest day of your life because you could begin a new walk and a new relationship with Jesus Christ and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you have a home in heaven. And you don't have to guess and you don't have to hope and wonder. You can know uh, because of the certainty of God's word. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.